part of our service at City Temple with Chelsea Community Church. You can come and be part of the whole thing in person or join us for the whole thing via Zoom by dropping us an email. Today, I'm really pleased that uh, Marcos Ravello is here and he's going to be bringing us the Word of God. Amen. Over to you, Marcos. Yeah. yeah, let's open our Bibles in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, or you can follow with, on the screen there with us. And we'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 7. And then we'll be in Psalm 146, verses 5 to 10. But there will be no gloom for her who, has, who was in anguish. In former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, land beyond the Jordan, Galilee to, of the nation. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has a light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when the, they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian, for every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel of the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his name, upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over the, his kingdom, to be established it were, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In Psalm 146. And verses 5 to 10. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. May we be blessed at the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We pray, Lord, that you speak to our hearts, that you speak to, our, to us as a church, as a community, to speak to us as families together, Lord. We're coming to the end of a year, but we're still with so much expectation and hope, wanting to see you move across this land, move across our, our city and across even our families we pray lord father we, we're grateful for this time and we pray that your spirit speaks to each one of us into our hearts in jesus name we pray amen, amen. and amen okay so um what is in the name no what's uh, is the famous uh, um saying of shakespeare no any name arose uh, by any other name would still smell the same no it's kind of those sayings what's what's the value of a name what's what's inside of a name and i think a little bit about my family i've got um the five kids and we were really you know thinking about their names when 
each one came into our lives and um, we chose wonderful Latino names, Elizabeth, Grace, <laughs> Kenneth, <laughs> Zoe, and Jane. So yeah, you know, anyway, we, we chose. Actually, you know, we, with, with Zoe, we had to think twice because um, someone said to me, you know, you, all your kids have got royal names. And I didn't really realize that we, we chose uh, monarchy or ex-monarchy uh, names. And so Zoe is Zoe, Olivia, Victoria. We gave her uh, three names, so she, we sometimes, it's interesting when, you, when I call them out, especially, because when I'm upset, as all parents, we use the full name, don't we? We say, Zoe, Olivia, Victoria, and she like freezes. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's a bit, bit of it. And anyway, she knows I love her with, with all my heart, as I do with all my children. But names are important. Names have, have uh, an importance. And I think more as, as, as us as believers, we, we understand that our names have, um, give identity, encourages. And when I call Grace, there is something on Grace's life. I can see a grace upon her. When I see Elizabeth and I say her name, I can see that prosperity and that blessing that she has. I can see that leadership skill she sometimes can, can shine with, and so forth. With uh, Kenneth, Ephraim Kenneth, if, if you look at the name, it means son, uh, uh, born of fire. And generally, he is a very fiery kind of guy, if you ever get him in the wrong way. But, you know, and he knows, he knows that. But it, it's interesting. A name has so much in it. A name can mean these things. And, and we name things because they're special to us. You know, we put names to, to, to our, even to our vehicles and and things like that. Now, if your first car, you probably put a name to it. If you had your first car, I'm, I'm sure, yeah, you see, you had the first name for your first car, I knew it. So it's one of those things. But how much more the names of God, how much more the names of God mean to us? How much more does it mean to us as his church, as his people? And that's the nature of God kind of revealed in his name, something that we begin to, to see here in scripture. See, God reveals himself through his names. Not always specifically in his manifest presence. Those are special moments. I really believe that you get those. But a lot of times I think God wants us to dig deeper and to know him by his name, to know his nature. And the names that mean something, that bring something of his identity to us. And especially here in this text, in Isaiah, just a little bit background on Isaiah, the, the, the book of the prophet Isaiah, about 800 years before Christ or so, this prophet who, who ran across the, the, the lifetime about three kings, he has these prophecies about the coming Messiah, the Christ, the, the one who would come and save the nation, who would, who would establish his kingdom. And it's interesting because for us, seeing it from the other side, a lot of these prophets were made very, you know, kind of connect to what we understand who Jesus is. But you've got to see for Isaiah and his generation, they didn't understand clearly yet what all of these names and this, this hope that Christ would come would do. Because for them, it was, you know, it was a great, a big change in their thought and even in their theology to believe God would physically, even in human form, be with us. We take it for granted, I think. You know, if you're growing in a Western Christian uh, or you've got a Christian background home, you know, God with us, Emmanuel, we say those things. We see the baby in the manger. We, we hear the stories. We, we know the Christmas carols. But you've got to understand for a monotheistic religion that believed God was mighty and, and fine, and they did recognize him as a father, they couldn't put it together that he would physically be with them or even become a child or a baby. And so a lot of these prophecies from their end, looking forward to the future, didn't quite make sense to them. They were looking at these and looking at them with mystery sometimes, looking at them with, with wonder and ex expectation that a woman would bear a child who, who was a virgin. And then connecting these to even things like Genesis, where Jesus was going to be the, the one born from a woman's seed who would crush the head of the serpent. These little things that were revealing who God would be to us. And now we understand it. Obviously, we look at it on the other side, but maybe I'm jumping a little bit ahead of here on this. 
And the advent is the coming of our Lord. And that's what Isaiah was prophesying. That's what Isaiah was, was announcing to, to, to Israel. Look, this, and, and you understand that at the time that they were as a, as a kingdom, it was in turmoil. It was in difficulty. It was a, the nations, these kings were terrible at times. The way they would behave, the way they would act, the way they would govern. And the prophets were there to, to speak the truth to power, to correct them or to put them back into time with God. But as, at the same time, they were prophesying of, of a future kingdom, a one that would come and, and would be established. Now, again, a little bit more, I guess I, I'll get into that a bit further on, but we look at this. There's, there's, there's hope in these names. And Isaiah, the, verse, the first few verses, verses 1 to 6, it speaks about the doom and, and it speaks about this gloom and, and this moment of difficulty that they were going through. But then there's also these moments of hope releasing in these words that they would soon be changed, that things would change, that things would be put in order. So we were just listening now that the word Advent, this, this word Perugia, is the coming of Christ. And this, this coming, it was also in his incarnation, him becoming flesh. The word became flesh. And that, again, was that big theological, that big mindset for the Jews to understand that he would become amongst us. He would dwell with us. He would be with us. And Isaiah, again, kind of going back and just remembering a lot of what he, he would say in his prophecies, even like Isaiah 53, you know, that he would be the, the lamb, that's, uh, the servant that's, that, that would give himself as a sacrifice by the verse that we all know, by his stripes we are healed. Those scriptures are in the prophetic words of Isaiah. But this God-man, and that they were the son of God, would, would come. And we need this type of hope to know. For right now, we see also war. There is that um, cost of living, the spiritual climate, the, the churches and, and the need we see around us. We do need hope. We, we de definitely need to, again, be able to pro prophesy and declare who God is to our generation and to know his names so that we can stir back up and, and, and awaken the church as well, and ourselves and myself, to know that, God, you're still the one who we can place our anchor and our hope in. So the word became flesh, the incarnation. God didn't just look at his creation from afar and think, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to allow them to just kind of fall into their sin and, and be destroyed and look at them with pity. But God became incarnate in Christ Jesus. He lived and died and rose again. But why is it important to know that Jesus came in the flesh? And I, I want to read a quote here. I'm going to read something that I thought was really good. And I'm not going to say who the quote is. If you want to know, you come afterwards and ask me about it, who, who's, who, who's the quote from. The time of the incarnation. And this is the question because they're saying, why did Jesus come in the flesh? Why that time? Why wasn't it earlier? Why didn't it happen in Genesis? Or why didn't it happen in our generation? Why, didn't it, why did God choose that moment in history? And, the, and this is the quote. The time of the incarnation was most suitable had God become man to redeem us immediately after the first sin was committed, human pride would not have been humbled in the consequence of that sin. Man would not have realized, though an impressive stretch of time, the greatness of the treasure he had lost. And it was good for man to prepare by prayerful longing for the redemption. Thus he would gain a keen awareness of the value of redemption and of his need for it, so that when, he, when it came, he would ardently take advantage of it. On the other hand, it would not have done, not, not, to, do, not to, do, to have the incarnation delayed, lest human longing turn to hopelessness and despairing and disappointment. Therefore, at the exactly the right time, in the fullness of time, as it says in, the, in Paul's letters of Galatians, God became man. And that's it. At the right time, God 
became flesh. He, kind of, he came to dwell amongst us and to bring that hope. And so all these truths, that, these are big truths. The incarnation is one of those. I think one of the things that, that Advent is, is that Emmanuel, God became flesh. God became with us. And these are all these truths like the Trinity, the death and resurrection, the ascension of Christ, these big things that we hold, but they're all connected and important. We can't separate one from the other. And it's good that we're reminded, at least in this time, a little bit more about him coming on to, to the earth to take our nature. And, and, and then we see this, that he reveals his nature, his character, and through his word. Now, and now, this is, you know, one of the things I've seen is that, that, that was the struggles that the church had, even the early churches, the, the creeds, and, and even in the early centuries, they struggled with Christ becoming man. And we see it in some religions, they find it difficult. When I talk to my Muslim neighbors, they, they can't understand how Jesus became man, or how God became man. To them, Jesus is just a prophet. And it's interesting having those conversations and, and talking with them. And, you know, it's, it's, I find them interesting because, they, they, you know, they, at Christmas time, they come around and give gifts. And, and I say, you know the story, how the, you know, the advent and how he came and became flesh. And, and there's obviously we get into this, these conversations there. And I think it's, it's a good opportunity. Um, but God has a way of, of getting his church especially when there was difficulties of understanding why Jesus came, why he became flesh, God had a way of bringing his church through the fog and bringing them into the light, helping them to understand. And I, I, I was wrestling with some of this. I was going through it again and, and asking the incarnation, how, how God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how at that moment God decides to send his son to be born of a baby and how important that became to him. But also, it's wonderful that God continues to keep his, his human, the physical nature and and one of these uh, things that we, we understand, we were, we were talking with the kids, trying to explain a little bit the Gospels with them. And I liked how they asked the big theological questions. And he goes, why, Dad? Why? Why? And so, the, the, you know, you're thinking about it. I remember once being on the train. I think we had these with, with, with Elizabeth because we were going to school. And she would ask, but God, uh, Dad, but why did God create Satan? Or why did God create Lucifer? And it's and you know the train gets loud in the underground. I was on the central line. So she was saying it loud, and it's a full train on the way to school. And I could see people looking at me like, yeah, if God is God and he created everything, why did he create Satan? I'm like, oh, God, I've got really, Lord, you're now going to give me some really good insight into this to explain this, isn't it? I'll leave that for you to continue to do that. Then you can ask Pastor Rod afterwards. I mean, there are some answers there. In the but it's it, these questions the kids ask about why. Why did he come? Why did he become flesh? Why did he... You know, why is he in our story? And, in, and it's important because um, we are explaining to them that God didn't want to stand far away from us. He wanted to dwell with us, be with us, but he had to because we, we, had made it, we had sinned in Adam. All of us had made a mess of the whole situation, everything. We had separated from God, from his love and his, and, and his, and his kingdom. And there had to be one perfect human in Christ and in Jesus to be done. And, we, and I said to them, it's interesting because, you know, God didn't choose to be an animal. He didn't choose to be an angel. He chose to be like us because we were made in his image and his likeness. That makes us special. That's why your body is important. So it opens up a whole box of other things with them to, to speak about. Please take care. Wash. Take care of your teeth. Don't put a tattoo, please. You know, things like that. These are things. I won't. That's my position in, in, in that sense. There's nothing wrong with having a tattoo. I just, I would write, you know, papers. Gisela says this, you know, you draw on paper, not on skin. <laughs> that's a way of, like with the kids, I try to think. But that's, you know, we're trying to say you're made in the image of God. You're made in his likeness. And look how wonderful that he takes flesh. He takes, he takes our body. And he kept it. He didn't like leave the body in the earth and said, sit, I've got, you know, I did what I needed to do with this, 
I robed myself with the flesh and bone and stuff. I don't need it anymore. I'm going to go to heaven, come down, and I come in my glory and my splendor. No, he even comes and returns to his disciples, and he says to them, look at my wounds, look at my scars, look at my body, and he keeps it. And I think it's one of the kids was kind of like in awe of it and said that, um, wow, you know, you know, for Satan, he must look at this and think, you know, you didn't do this for the angels. You didn't do this for, for the animals. You did it for us humans, us who are made in your image and likeness. And that must really upset the devil. I thought, yeah, you're right. <laughs> he must to see us because we're made in his image and his likeness. So understanding these things, understanding that it's important because he came and, and it, it begins this whole story here in Isaiah for us. And as we begin our Advent, we begin to understand it was, it was his humanity that when we understand that because of our sin, God intervened because of his love towards us and because he could see, and also his judgment and righteousness. And I also got to remember God is holy and he's righteous and he, and he has to keep the law and he, he all, you know, the wages of sin is death. So he has to complete that. And so he sends himself who will fulfill it. And so when we think, when we look at this, I'm thinking of the incarnation, it does make us think a lot more of, of Christ. And it's for us, for unto us a child is born. Here's that first part of the, the prophecy that I, I want to emphasize here. The word became flesh, it dwelt amongst us, as I wouldn't, uh, 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 and we would see the prophecy of Christ coming. Through faith, he saw the birth of the son, and this is Isaiah, who's seen through, through faith that the birth of the son of God coming in the form of man clothed in humus and flesh. You know, people love to see newborn babies. Well, most people do. And, we, you know, there's an innocence, there's a sweetness. And when we see a baby, you know, there's something tender and sweet. And we've got to understand that it was also in Jesus. They could see this. But there was also an exception. It wasn't an ordinary child. He would have looked like any other baby born at Bethlehem at that time. But he was also different. And often we forget that. You know, we recognize the enormity. And I think especially when I... When I'm with my, my Catholic friends and, and it's my Catholic community friends, and they, they you know, the, the baby Jesus, and they see this, and it's the divinity, and then, you know, it's the cuteness, but I, I think there's more to it. This is mighty God, powerful also. And there's moments where he reveals his glory, in, 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 even in his humanity. He's not just this child. He's, he's awe and wonder, and, he, and, and we have to look at him also with all of it. Often we fail to recognize that the enormity of, the, of, of God in human flesh. He came and, and became, you know, and he, he left his glory, glory to glorify God, to become man, to condemn death and sin and the devil and on the, on the cross, like it says in Philippians 2.7, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Why is the incarnation important to us? Why is it important to us as the church? And there are just a few things here I wanted to share. To reveal God to humanity. We see that in, in, in Scripture, especially in the Gospels of John to provide a high priest for interceding for us as, a, as the one who sympathizes with our human weaknesses. And that's seen in Hebrews, in one of the letters that's wonderful, that you see this understanding that he, he is greater than Moses, he is greater than angels, but he's also, he sympathizes, he connects with us. He knows our weakness. This isn't a God who stands afar. When we, we listen to other religions sometimes, and those with Hindu background or other religions where they, they, God or the deities are far or, are high or, or powerful, and knowing God, he is closer to us and, wreck, and felt our pain and dwelt with us and understands even our temptation, our weaknesses. Another, thing, another reason for the incarnation is to offer a pattern of the fullness of the human life, how we're supposed to live. And we've been learning that in First Peter. We've been learning that in, in this past few months, how, how you know, we, we learn from our suffering. We learn to walk with Christ. We learn to become a disciple like him. 
another one to provide a substitutionary sacrifice for all the sins of humanity. Again, the righteous and the justice of God that had to be done. The God's, in God's court, he had to pay, you know, um, deal with the sin that separates humanity. He is a holy and righteous God. He's a God of power and might, and, he, and, and, and that, never, that will never change. He's immutable. In other words, he never changes. And to bring us close, he has to bring that, that sacrifice that's perfect in the Lamb of God, that is Jesus. The next one, another reason why he, became, why he became flesh is to bind up the demonic powers. And we see that again in the Gospels. We see that in, in his church. We see that through his people. And to redeem those who are under the law. So further, continuing in Isaiah, the dominion of Christ and the government shall be on his shoulder. This is, you know, this one's sometimes a difficult text to understand, especially, you know, it could have been confusing to the Jews at that time. Uh, and, and, and even in the time of Christ, they were looking for a king to deliver them from the Roman Empire. They were looking for someone to, get, to you know, physically come against the government and physically overturn things. And even now, sometimes we could feel like that. We, we see that in the news, how people rise up Groups rise up to try and transform governments and try and bring down. You know, you, you, and, and you don't have to go now to say into the, the, uh, the southern part of the globe. Sometimes people say, oh, well, that only happens in Latin America. Well, that only happens in so-and-so country. No, just recently we saw it in the USA. We've seen it in other parts where people rise up in anger and wanting to, to, to physically bring change. And yet we know as, as believers, we understand that the kingdom of God, that Christ came, to, came as, as in, in, in his flesh, was to also establish a spiritual kingdom. And through prayer, and through intercession, through the word, through faith, we begin to transform nations. We begin to transform cultures, communities, as a church. And I believe, and I'm, I'm grateful to God that we've come here to Chelsea. And I'm grateful that he's been speaking continuously, encouraging us as a community to believe again that God will take the desolate places, God will take those places that were in ruins and reestablish his kingdom, re lift up his people, lift up the kingdom and community. And that's the way that God does this. That's the way he, he chooses through us as people and, and as his church. The prophet Isaiah was looking not just at that current situation, but beyond at the life and death of Christ and to his future reign upon the earth. We, we wait for the second coming of Christ. For some, they're still expecting a first coming. But for, for us, we understood he came, he died on the cross, rose again, and we, we are now his church. And, and we continuously pray, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we also wait for him to return. We, you know, we still have an advent yet to come. We're waiting for him to return. And Isaiah could see some of this in the prophecy. For many who viewed the life of Christ at the time, it appeared that he was a failure. And that's one of the things that I, I, I when I, I've talked a, a little bit with our um, neighbors again, using them as example, is that how could Jesus die on the cross? That's a failure. How can a prophet die? Prophets are supposed to rise up. They're supposed to overturn things. They're supposed to, to win at the end. And not understanding that humility and humbleness and even forgiveness. You know, um, I think I can share this with, with, with Kenneth. So Kenneth, again, the neighbors are, are, are Muslim friends and we, we share with them. But my, my, my friend says to me, you're very kind, Marcos. You and your family are very kind, but you're weak. <laughs> it's like, okay. And he goes, because you're supposed to, uh, you know, take control, fight and power. And, and, and he goes, you, you, you need to fight for things and, and things. I said, I, I think I do, but not in the way you do. <laughs> and, and then he was, you know, struggling. To, and, I said, and I said, you know, and it was an example because the kids were fighting, I think we used. And then my son is bigger. You can see he's, he's got my physique a little bit. <laughs> And his son is much thinner and smaller. I said, you know, 
we, we teach to forgive and turn the other cheek. And if and your son hits my son, he won't, hit, he won't feel it that much. If my son hits your son, he's going to feel it because he's very big. And I said, I've taught my son to t forgive and turn the other cheek, to love, to show Christ-likeness. So it's a hard one for, their, for them to understand sometimes these things. And I, I'm actually, I pray that we have someday some training for how to share the gospel to our Muslim neighbors, our Jewish neighbors, our atheist neighbors, all neighbors. But I really think we, we, do, we do need some training on that. I, I would like it as well. Uh, I'd, I'd love to, to know more and, and how to share that. But anyway, looking at this, for some, they thought that Christ was a failure at that time. Some other religions find his heart to understand him, hard to understand that he was dying on the cross. But, you know, Jesus rose from obscurity. He never set up a, a physical human throne. He didn't put a castle or a physical building. His, his, his kingdom was through the people that he discipled. His kingdom was through the church. And even though some believe that it, you know, it, it ended at the tomb, and that he died, he was buried. But for those who understand, the tomb wasn't the end. He was able to offer himself as a sacrifice to all of us. And his life and death were in God's will and God's sovereign plan. This was all designed by God. And when Christ returns again, he will not have a crown of thorns, but a crown of glory. And he will come with great power to establish his kingdom here upon earth. And so then we get into these names, these names that give us hope. Wonderful counselor. And so, you know, this, 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 some say that the name should be separated into two, but I, I like that it's, it is wonderful counselor. You know, sin, sin reduces us to fools. At the epicenter of our foolishness, you know, at this, you know we, we deny God sometimes, but, and, and, but, a deni but a denial of, of our need of God, for God, and a belief that we can live a life on our own. Um, we need a wonderful counselor. Jesus came to rescue us from our own foolishness, our own sinfulness. We need that counsel and that wisdom of God. We need that, uh, that, that way of, of his uh, power and might. And, then, and this, this is the thing. This is the idea of being a supernatural and extraordinary, this wonderful word. The wonderful is, is used in, even in, I, I was able to find it in Genesis chapter 18, when the Lord announced the birth of Isaac to Abraham and to Sarah. Then Sarah laughed in, in her heart and said, Lord, and, and in her heart, and the Lord, knowing that she laughed, said, is anything too hard for the Lord? And that word hard is also that word that is, uh, is anything too marvelous or anything too wonderful, is anything too extraordinary for the Lord. So that understanding that, you know, that word wonderful counsel, is there anything wonderful, marvelous, extraordinary that the Lord can do, surpassing and excellent? And see, we see this in Jesus' teachings, his judgments. He shows how he's a great counselor. He knows people's hearts and he knows their intentions. And the Holy Spirit continues to counsel by his word, and he brings conviction, teaching to transform our hearts. I'm glad that we have God's counsel. I'm glad that God is the, our, our counselor and through the Holy Spirit as well, because I, I think a lot of, and I'm, and we've been learning with my wife that a lot of modern um, medicine and a lot of modern psychology and therapy, it only just really uh, teaches to cope with the situation. It doesn't really deal with the heart of the problem. I mean, you find that, and I have nothing against people, you know, therapy or going to counselors. I think some of that helps in a way, but it never really deals with When you listen to the, to the after, the stories, it's just like, I've just learned how to cope with it now. I just learned how to live with it now. I've just learned how to, to kind of manage it. But Jesus is our, our hope and our counselor, and he doesn't just help us to deal with it. He helps us to heal from it. Whether, and it's things like learning to forgive, learning to, to release, learning to trust learning to, 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 to go through that difficult situation with hope and faith that the Lord will 
make all things better in his, in his time and in his way. He's also mighty God. And I like how one of the uh, old commentaries said that he's the God hero. I really like that. He's mighty God. He's powerful. He's all the one that comes to, to destroy the works of the devil. And that, um, again, about sin, it doesn't just reduce us to fools. It also makes us unable to, to, to be who we are in God, to be what he's created us to do. But his might, when God uh, releases his might through Jesus, he defeats sin, death for all eternity. And he empowers us. And he gives that desire that we could do, uh, we're able to do what Jesus also did. And we have that mighty God on our side. The church more than ever, uh, you know, is facing difficult times in the world. And we need God's might. We need God's strength. I know I do. I know I continuously feel that, Lord, you know, that, you know I'm glad that we've been hearing prophetic words together as a community. And, and as Karen was saying earlier, come together to listen. Because, yeah, sometimes you're going to have to make, you're going to have to hear where God says, stop listening to the news. Stop listening to what is out there. And listen to what I say. And it's true because we need to see that he's mighty. He is our hope. And we have to sometimes say, no, no, Jesus, you are our only hope in this situation. Now, everything else around is looking very grim. And you hear it when we're dropping off the kids at school. And you can say, I had one parent literally run across me. He knows me. And he says, the inflation, it's getting, it's, it's, he was like panicking. It's, I can't believe it's going like that. And he's, you can see the, 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 the distraught in him. And, it's, and us having to, to speak. And, is it, and the kids know the news. Um, the, the kids, I'm surprised. I think there's a thing, some of you have grown up in, here in England. Um, you know there's a program called Newsround. So now the kids in school, they have Newsround in, the, in, the, in their lessons. And so my daughter tells me word by word, look, this is what the prime minister said. This is what's happening in Scotland. This is the, the, the strikes. They're like, I didn't know any of this because I was so busy on something else. Apart from the World Cup being on, but <laughs> the other things. I mean, but she was up to date on the news. And I was like, honey, you know, we trust in God's kingdom. I'm not saying that we should not know these things, and I know that we've got to pray for him, and I'm glad that we do, but I can't let that weigh my heart down. I cannot let that be my anchor, and I cannot let that, I, you know, the, the Bank of England isn't my hope. The government, whether Labour or, or, or Tory, isn't my hope. The, the, the monarch isn't my hope. Jesus is my hope, and I have to rest my heart there and bring the kids together and the families together, and that's what the church does. We're listening about this and coming together. He's that mighty God. He's that powerful one that comes. His divine kingship, he is the great I am, the Jesus mighty God. Our mighty God came in flesh in Jesus. He's the everlasting father. And this is really important because by his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus welcomes us into his family. He is the door by which we have access to God. He lavishes his fatherly love upon us. And we are blessed with all the rights and privileges of being children, no longer separated, no longer slaves to sin, no longer alienated or alone. We live forever as sons and daughters of King. We, we now have this father. And it's, it's not this idea that, um, to confuse anything on, on, the, on, on his deity, but Jesus says, he, he perfectly shows, we've been learning that he's a good shepherd. He's that chief shepherd that we've been learning how he, you know, he, his leadership is also there in there. And this idea that in the Hebrew words is that Jesus is the source and uh, uh, author of all eternity, that he is the creator himself. It does not mean that Jesus himself is the, the person of the Father in the Trinity, but it's that he, he is, in, 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 he's, by his word, he sustains all. We understand he, he keeps it. And the next one that keeps, gives us hope is he's the Prince of Peace. And that's uh, that word, shalom, that we get that word. It means so much, that word shalom, meaning prosperity and, and wholeness and healing and, and well-being. It's, it's such a wonderful word in, in, in itself. And then because of sin, we've, you know, we've been made enemies of God. And, and, it, and we have you know, this constant conflict, not just with ourselves, but with others. And, and it has this destructive power. 
And it, you know, we see it around the world that no matter how much they try to negotiate and look for peace, there's always another conflict occurring or another problem occurring. And even in homes and in families, we need the gift of peace. We need the hope of peace that is in Christ Jesus. Peace isn't a situation or an atmosphere. It's a person, and it's Jesus that brings peace. A peace with God that's lasting and a peace with one another. We, have, we need that. We need that deep in our hearts. We need to have that hope. Therefore, Isaiah's vision of, of, the, this, you know, of seeing Jesus as, as the uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, all of these are anchors and, and deep in our heart to give us hope of knowing that he's coming. And I like how it says in, in, in Psalm 146, but joyful are those who have the, the, have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever, speaking of the Lord. He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. This is the Lord's work. The Lord frees the prisoners. This is what God does. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He physically heals. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. He's the one who's our counselor who can break that, that, that depression and sadness and sickness that affects the soul and the mind. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigner among us. He cares for the orphans and the widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. He will be our God, O Jerusalem, throughout the generations. Praise the Lord. He is ours. He is everything in that. And that's why this name is wonderful. That's why this name, that's why we have hope in the name of Jesus. And we could teach our children that. We could teach our families and we could teach our communities. We could teach those around us that, you know, this in Christmas, it is. It's not just this, the, the gifts. And I know those things are nice and it's wonderful. But we get to, you know, we have a roof over our head. We have food. We have one another. We have Jesus. I think, you know, we, you know we've got it. Everything else will fall into place in its time and, it's, and in its way. We persevere. We continue in, in what called, God has called us to do. You know, there is hope in his name. And I like this. We've been learning with the Sermon Club. I've been doing the Sermon Club, and I, I really do enjoy being there with the kids. And, and I've got to, I like drawing a little bit, so I've been sketchnoting with them at the back there. So the big idea, here it is, because I know we, you've got no pens and papers there. We have hope in Jesus, in his name. He is our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let us pray. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we come before you. And I thank you, Lord. Yeah, we do. We, we have a hope that goes through the veil, an anchor in Christ. He is our wonderful counselor. He does everything that we need in our hearts, in his time, in his way, Lord. And as we surrender to him, Lord, you continuously work in our hearts. You renew our minds. You bring us together. You, you do wonderful works in your church. Lord, you are our mighty God. You are mighty and powerful to save. You, you have said, Lord, that, Father, the, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against your church. And because your church is your body and you are with them, Lord, nothing, no weapon formed against it shall prosper. So, Lord, we stand. We're, we're grateful that even though the governments are making changes, educations, things are changing, and even uh, society brings changes that, that are ungodly and unrighteous, Lord, we stand that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. You are mighty to save us. You are the mighty God, our God hero. Lord, you are the everlasting Father, Lord. You have loved us and brought us into family. Now, when we are in Christ, we are sons and daughters of, of the most, of the high God. Of, Lord, we can come before you and say, Abba, Father, we can come before you in all, and also in reverence and fear and recognizing, Lord, that you are powerful. But also, Lord, we can come in, in your embrace, Lord. We thank you 
And we find mercy every day because of what Jesus has done for us. And we can come boldly to the Father's throne. We thank you, Lord, because you are, Lord, also the Prince of Peace, Lord. And we pray for that. We declare that right now, especially in so much turmoil in Ukraine, Europe, and the nations, Lord, with all the changes happening. And Lord, there is no security in men's plans, Lord. Only in your will and your sovereignty can we trust and find peace. So we speak peace, Lord. We speak peace, first of all, here in Chelsea Community Church. We declare, we, we're your prophetic voice here, and we declare peace upon this land, peace upon this neighborhood, peace upon this borough and the city. We pray for peace over City Temple, Lord. We pray for peace over the city of London, Lord, Father. You have placed us, Lord, as your children to, to be that voice there in that place as well. And Father, we pray, Lord, for peace over the nation. They may find Jesus, Lord, that the governments and, and, and the education and, and all of these spheres of influence will recognize that Jesus is the one who truly gives peace. Those who are struggling with their families, Lord, those who are in pain because of resentment, anger, and unresolved issues, Lord, may they find peace in Christ Jesus. I pray, Lord, today that those who are far from you will come back. Those prodigal sons and daughters who have walked away from their faith will return to you, Lord. And maybe those who are hearing you for the first, hearing your word today, may that seed produce fruit in their hearts today, Lord. And I pray for healing, Lord. I pray for bones, muscles, tendons, Lord. Your word says, by your stripes, we are healed. And I thank you, Lord, that there's healing for, for those affected in their hip, muscles, and, and bones that are damaged, Lord. The restoration of healing even in those areas, Lord. I pray for those things right now, Lord. I thank you, Holy Spirit, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing. We give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen. Hallelujah.